Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. It's a Sunday morning here in Tucson, and um, it's great to connect with um, uh, master musicians, people that have been honing their craft for a long period of their life, have gotten their rudiments and technique down, and maybe even have really a lot of chops and a lot to say, but have been able to also realize the mysticism and magic of music and have channeled the spiritual energy of music into their repertoire, which really makes it come full circle. And uh, it is uh, my guest today is uh, somebody who, who exudes that, and uh, she plays all over, had t plays tons of gigs. We were supposed to do a live interview yesterday, but she got another gig. Uh, uh, she plays African music and spiritual jazz and some cover music from rock bands and just you know throw away the throw away the labels and the genres that uh she, she is a an accomplished player really a, a rising star angeline saris welcome to the jake feinberg show thank you so much for having me excited to be here yeah it's it's uh can you can you talk about um a little bit about um playing music when the music is coming through you, uh, I guess, you know, people will call it music from the heavens. Uh, and ultimately, just uh, when you're in that environment, uh, if you can talk about uh, channeling that, how you channel that when it's really just coming through you. Well, you know, I think before a show, I just kind of ask that that music, you know, ask the spirits that be, or the, you know, the universe, or whatever you want to call it, God, or anything that, um, that I just make people happy that are there, and, um, and that, you know, whatever that needs to be will just come through me, and, uh, that's pretty much it, you know, you just sort of keep yourself open, and I think try not to get your brain, your head involved too much try and just, it's like a meditation, you know, try and clear it and then just, just let your fingers and all the work that you've done in the past, the practice, just kind of happen. Um, can you talk about how you, uh, stop thinking? I mean, did you get to a point in your, in your music where, um, you realized that if you were thinking you weren't really playing? Yeah, well... Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to go about it. Like, one, if you've had a really good gig or a really good show, a really good performance one night, you realize that you were so in it that you never, you thought the whole night. You were just having a great time, you know? <laughs> or if you're, if, you're, if you're in that zone where everyone's just burning, you yeah. know? Oh, and there's this burning. magical, yeah, kismet on the stage. It's like nobody's sitting there going, oh, well, I should play the major third right now because that would be really hip, you know? <laughs> right, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it doesn't work like that, you know? It's like you're just doing it, and everybody's doing it, and the whole band becomes this sort of, you know, this one thing. And uh, so I think that's sort of, you know, it kind of, that's how it happens when the music's really good and everyone's on the same page. Now, I think there are things that you can do when you're not on stage to help foster that environment in your soul and your mind, which is have a meditation practice, take care of your body, you know, exercise, um, you know. Don't be a jerk, <laughs> like stuff like that. Yeah, no, I dig. I, can you talk about um, uh, a specific memory of of? Uh, I mean, because what I'm what I'm finding I'm, as a non musician, really, I mean, you have to have your technique 
you have to have your rudiments down uh, in order to lose yourself like for a three hour gig and then you know then you come to consciousness again but do you remember like the earliest experience you had when you like just transcended and and totally left yourself and stopped and stopped thinking on the bandstand the earliest experience of that or just one that comes to i don't i just one that comes to mind i mean something where you where you were like where you where you walked off and said i've never uh i don't just i don't know what happened for the last three hours oh yeah um i mean i can't remember the first time that happened but i can tell you that um i mean that happens a lot now like i played a show last night that's um pulled over because <laughs> i was driving home from it, but we played in sacramento with uh, the all-female let's up and dance up row last night right. and, um, and it was just a joyous wonderful experience and i mean i know then i played with actually and i just feel like it's all the time i played with ernest wrangler and you know and the same thing you're just in the zone you just live there i mean it's part it's all the time I mean, uh, well, let's say not all the time. It's most of the time. Like, I had a show Friday night where I was kind of in my head, and I was annoyed. <laughs> I think part of it was the sound was a little rough, and, you know, uh, it was just a ruckus environment. People were falling on the stage, and it was like, oh, my gosh. But yeah. I'd, say, I'd say more more times than not, that's sort of just the way it is. If you were talking to younger cats, I, I just what, what is, when you, when you start to get frustrated or you're in your head, um, and there are distractions around you. Um, what would be your advice to cats that are trying to build trust with other people? I mean, ultimately, you have to trust the other people you're with in order to also uh, lose yourself. But I just would like you to get, you know, when you're fighting it, how do you, uh, when you're in the middle of, of playing, how do you how do you break free from, from yourself? Um, even when you're on stage? Yeah. Ah. I think one, just identify first that you are in your head, you know, and then I think heighten your senses, you know, it's just like start to focus on the music as a whole, not necessarily your playing and your part in it, you know, like what is everybody doing and, and just, just, and then sometimes I just close my eyes and I look up, actually, I just look up and close my eyes and take a deep breath and try and just focus and ground. I mean, I don't have a specific, maybe I should have a specific thing, but that's kind of what I do. Yeah, no, that's it's just, it's, it's, I just, I think that, uh, um, it's important to know that you can change that, that mindset, even if it's not, if, if the events around you are a little bit chaotic, which I, I can imagine they would be at these, uh, can you, how did this whole, uh, female, um, Zeppelin tribute band, uh, come together originally. I mean, it's a fantastic idea uh, on this, a very unique kind of thing. Um, can you talk about how that manifested? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, the band has been together for, I believe, 11 years now. Um, and I joined five years ago. Um, they had another bass player and another singer for the first uh, six years. But um, I know it came together because the drummer, Clementine, and the guitar player, Gretchen Men, were in an all-female ACDC cover band called um, ACDC and <laughs> and I think uh, they were really wanting to tour more and play more shows and um, and they just had this idea so Clementine had the idea to do um, 
you know, an all-female Led Zeppelin tribute band, and she also was really into uh, Barbarella, the movie, and so hence the name Zeppelin. Um, and I think the first show they played, they, they projected the movie Barbarella onto the stage, which is why they wore all white, so that you could kind of see the movie being projected on them. And the white came off so well that we always wear white now. So that was sort of the birth of that band. Are you in, are you uh, finding it to be? I mean, as honestly as you can. Like, is it is it is it too formulaic, or do you guys stretch out? I mean, I haven't seen you live, but I mean, is it just? Do you find yourself going off, getting loose, or is it is it a, just a? Are you playing the same sets every night? Well, we're definitely not playing the same set. I mean, we have about uh, maybe fifty other songs that we um, can pull from. Maybe yeah, forty or fifty. So we switch it up, but. They're definitely crowd favorites that we like to include in our own favorites. And, you know, for me, uh, as a bass player, the way that I approach the set is definitely not formulaic because I'm trained as a jazz musician. Like, that's my upbringing. So I look at things in terms of, you know, like a chord chart, you know, um, where it's like, oh, we've got, you know, an A dominant and then a D minor seven and this. And so, um, obviously, if it's a riff, you have to play the riff. You can't bear from that. But in terms of, the framework of the chords, you know, I try and, I study JPJ, I've learned his lines, like for a great example would be the Lemon song, like that's a great, over the solo, the bass part is awesome, but I might quote it and I know it, like the back of my hand, but I'm not going to play that every night because I think that's crazy, <laughs> I must be so bored. Right, know? no, I dig, I, 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 I mean, would were you um, getting off on like uh the uh, like Reggie Workman, uh, the stuff that that was being done with um, with Coltrane. Like, was that stuff that you were studying? I mean, there's a there's a lot of different ways of defining jazz. I mean, you could look at you know Richard Rick Laird with the early Mahavishnu, or even uh-huh. you know before that. I mean, you play upright bass, so or like an upright electric uh, hybrid kind of thing, maybe and. Um, I just wanted to know, uh, you know, how, which upright bass cats were you, like, not necessarily learning for, in the academic sense, but, like, the cats that you, that you, that you really would turn to, 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 to listen to? Sure, sure. Um, well, in terms of upright cats, uh, Mingus, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up yeah. listening to him, Ray Brown, um, uh, wow, I'm totally, like, no, 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 no. It's a t- but just use those uh, two Ron guys. Ron Carter. Oh, yeah, there we go. Ron yeah, Carter. sure, Ron, 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 yeah, I mean, the guy, but I mean, those, uh, can you just take, for instance, I mean, was it, like, the fact that, um, I mean, not so much Ray Brown, but, like, Mingus, for instance, like, I mean, a lot of times he was using that as a lead instrument. Was it, was that, did that, was that inspiring for you? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I wouldn't say that I approach my I mean, I admire that about him. And actually, I guess in some ways I do approach it more melodically than some bass players. But, um, yeah, I think it's super cool. I mean, a lot of Jocko, a lot of people I love were, you know, really in the forefront as bass players, so... Do you, how do you, I feel like you're a very melodic bass player, or that your inclination is to do, go even farther in that direction. But, you know, it's always about locking the groove, you know. Um, Mingus, to me, was always about... Uh, um, you know, just being out in front and being bold. But I mean, did you with Ray Brown? Did you, did you get to see those cats ever live? Like, 
I saw Ray. I saw Ray before he passed away, actually, at Yoshi's in Oakland. Um, yeah, I saw him and Tony Williams. Like, <laughs> and then they both died like a month later. I was like, oh! <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> so you, they, they played together? No, 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 just separately. Really. All right. Uh, so, what was the what was your impression? Of, I mean, even though, tell tell me about uh, seeing Ray. Well, the thing I did love and I still do love about Ray's playing is his, just his tone and his sense of his feel and his and his sense of um, melodicness, how he plays with the lines, and um, I mean, he just speaks to the instrument. I think, in a way that is so true to, like, what it can do. And, and also it's sort of playful, too, and sweet and fun but deep. And I don't know, I just, uh, and his tone. I mean, he just got this big, big sound that I love. <laughs> you know, it's warm. And and he was Quincy's major major cat on bass. Um, uh, d did you... Did you actually go to school for for music? Did you go to music school, or you just can you talk a little bit about your trajectory uh, in education, like as far as your music? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not go to school for music. Um, I went to UC Berkeley, and I at the time I wanted to be a lawyer, <laughs> and so I graduated with an undergrad degree in rhetoric um, with an emphasis in legal discourse. And uh, but I had an epiphany. Um, in the middle of my kind of towards the end of my last year that I was not supposed to be a lawyer. I was playing my bass actually. I had come home from my class in the rhetoric of counterculture. <laughs> We're studying like Ginsburg and Larry and uh, Aldous Huxley, Doors of Perception and um, I was playing my 1979 music band on the bed and the sun broke through the clouds and I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be a lawyer. I think I'm supposed to play bass. And it was like this kind of aha moment. But, uh, wait, hold, wait, wait, but what year was, what years were this? Well, that was in college, so um, that was when I was about 20, um, so, I don't know, years back. <laughs> um, uh, no, it's fine. I, uh, so you were you were stuttering counterculture rhetoric, and <laughs> but I have to believe that, that some of that riffing also, ins that, was that very inspiring to you? Was that the first time you were exposed to that stuff? Oh, it was so cool. I actually really am glad that I studied that. Um, I had this one class, too, that was... It was like Alfred Hitchcock films and um, like Western philosophy and like or Eastern philosophy and like the theory of feminist theory and Hitchcock films through the eyes of like Heidegger, Hegel, and Kant. It was like so wow. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> and yeah, it was just like those were some of the coolest classes. So I think it was in a general level, it just opened my you know my brain in a cool way. I think this education is supposed to, you know. But, um, did you have kinda, did you have opportunities to um, to gig in college, uh, like around the Berkeley area? I did, I did. So I played in the jazz band in high school and studied privately with this uh, guy, Darkanium Brown. Um, and then when I got to, and I was always kind of playing in jazz trios and combos. And then when I got to Cal, I played in Latin. We had a program called UC Jazz, and it was not affiliated with the music department. It was sort of the Redheaded stepchild. Of, like, I love it. No, that's the those are the, that's where it can get really funky, though. That's what I like about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was cool it was in the basement, and like you know, but they, it was great. And um, I played well in UC Jazz. I played a Latin jazz ensemble uh, there, and then I had 
couple funk bands and would just pick up jazz gigs. I was always playing. Like, even before I decided to fully, you know, pursue it as a career, I was always a hobbyist. I think I was in denial, really, for a long time. <laughs> I think you're doing I think you were just kicking ass, actually. I mean, honestly, the... Can you talk about how you became comfortable comfortable with the clave beat? Ah, yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, that was all when I took the Latin jazz um, ensemble at UC Berkeley. And uh, I remember learning the timbal and, like, you know, the concept of not playing on the one and, like, going home and having to count it and familiarize it. And, and that's where I learned, yeah, the 2-3, two, 3-2 three, three, two sound Roomba and all that. Um, so that was there. <laughs> What cats were you playing with, though? I mean, this to me is fascinating stuff. This is really where you, I mean, you can put all that practical stuff into, like, an applied, real-time situation. Right, you mean in terms of the clave? Yeah, like well, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you make it sound pretty effortless, but it's not, it's not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out the, like, because there was, like, uh, you know, there are a lot of cats that I talked to uh, that, you know, like, uh, Santana's bass player Dave Morgan from the seventies, and he, um, you know, he he was in this band. It was literally in the Berkeley Square, like it was called Salsa de Berkeley, and it was like steel drums, timbales, uh, you know, uh, uh, it was a, I think electric bass, and there was no uh, no guitars, no piano, and it was just. It, it, but that was happening like it basically just was on the streets. This was like '74. I, I, a lot of like philosophically, I just feel like jazz in general, melodic music is like music of culture, which is should belong on the streets. And I just wanted to know because with gentrification now, I I go to Berkeley, I, and you know it's just totally different. And I was just wanted to know if there was a lot of culture and a lot of music on the streets when you were there. Uh -huh. No, I mean, no, I think actually I remember kind of thinking when I was there that it felt a little bit like it was riding the waves of its sort of hippie image from the 60s, you know. Why, why, what, 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 uh, what made you feel that way? Well, I mean, just, uh, I mean, there was, I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie, like, Berkeley is a great place, like, it's, it's one of my, I love Berkeley and Oakland, like, I love the I, I do too, and, I do too. Yeah, I mean, it has so much. Uh, there's so much culture going on over there. I mean, you can have Ethiopian food or you can, you know, you can do anything. It's like, and um, right now I live in Marin on the other side of the bay and Marin is also very beautiful but way less, way less exposure to that level of culture. So, I mean, so it's, it's still there for sure, but it just isn't like the kind of open-minded spirit that you imagine. I mean, I wasn't, I was born in the late 70s, so it's like I wasn't alive during that period, but what I picture it to be at that time, when I've heard stories about all that, it seems like it didn't, you know, it had kind of, as, as it happens, it had grown, you know, and times change. It wasn't like that anymore. Um, but there's still great music. I mean, there's Yoshi, there's Yoshi's and all that stuff, so, you know. I'm right. To, yeah, we're the, I guess we're probably the same. I was born in 78. Oh, me too. Yeah, so we're the same age. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so you were, you were, you were, uh, yeah, I was at Boston University at the same, yeah, the late 90s, that 2000, that turn of the century was like, uh, you, you described it very apropos, it's like riding the wave of this, um, this sort of uh, open-minded consciousness movement, um, I just, do you, um, can you talk about being a woman in the music business, and, 
the challenges that you have, maybe a challenge that you have faced and how you've overcome it? Sure. It's such an interesting question. It's one that is definitely exists and there are things to talk about. Also one that sometimes I'm like, do we have to talk about this? Because <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's part of me is like, uh, um, you know, what it, you, know what it, you know what it's about? It, we don't have to talk about it, but if you don't share the story, then my daughters and younger generations, they, they need to know how to overcome. That's, that's the, the relevancy, you know? And if, if there's something, I think it's important because I know that, that it exists. It definitely exists, without a doubt. And it is important. I think what I was going to say, Cindy Blackman said it so well. I went to a clinic once with hers, and I asked her a very similar question. I said, what's it like? Do you have advice for women in the industry? And she said, she put it perfectly. She said, you know what? Just practice and be the best musician you can be and show up and be professional. And that's all you can do. Don't worry about it, you know? And um, don't, like, create awareness because that sort of propagates, you know, the issue. And yes, it does exist. And actually, I'm reading Herbie Hancock's book right now, Possibilities. It right. talks a lot about growing up, you know, being African-American and, like, how a lot of people got caught in this, you know, way of thinking, like, um, you know, just being almost aware or, place, you know, and it's like it doesn't help you in any way to do that. You could just, all you can do is have a positive attitude and just put your best foot forward and practice and try and be badass. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you. I mean, yeah. If you have the chops, no one's going to really f around with you. But I just feel like if if some, I, it's uh, being There's a, more to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just. I, I is was there a time when when you were able, like, if somebody was like sort of insecure about the fact that you were a woman and you were a monster player, and they were sort of, you know, taking shot, like verbally going after you, trying to make you insecure, and and how you how you dealt with that. I mean, I know that there were. There were cats from Berkeley, like Mike Wolf, who's now you know lives in the East Coast. But you know he grew up Berkeley High, and he was playing blues. And you know, he, I mean, he 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 used to go to you know, and these black guys would yell at him, saying, "You can't play, white boy," you know. And like he be, and he would just and he would just uh, and you know he he went home after this in, this situation, and he was like you know he kind of just woodshedded for two weeks, but he just kind of grew this tough skin to be like, you know, I'm not, I, I, I belong. I think that's what Cindy's playing is, is saying, you know, when, yeah. when you when, you know when you belong. But there is a lot of cats that are, I mean, there's just, for women that are more insecure, that really have beautiful open heart, you know, I mean, can you yeah. share a time when someone was quote unquote trying to intimidate you or bully you and how you, uh, how you dealt with it? Um, yeah, I mean... And actually, it doesn't just come from other men. It can come from even women. Like, I remember I was taking classes at uh, El Camino Community College. Um, when, actually, the, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell that story quite yet because that has not as much to do with being a woman or woman. <laughs> it's more, okay. Whatever. Yeah, you just, <laughs> flow, just flow with it. Yeah. Well, um, I will say that one thing happens a lot is that people, like, in situations, they... <laughs> I have to say, like, guys like to mansplain things a lot. <laughs> like, you know, offering advice about what what I should be playing or how I should be playing maybe more freely than they would if, you know, I think if I were a dude. You wow, know, wow. That is, how do you, so, okay, so how do you control, how do you manage your ego, Angeline? How do you, because that would be very frustrating for me. Well, is, you know, but I think you just have to be respectful and graceful and, you know, say, oh, thank you. I appreciate, you know, your suggestions, but, and be grounded. 
but I'm happy with what I'm doing right now. Or yes, maybe that is a great idea, you know, um, but not be rattled by it, even though it's annoying sometimes. And you understand that this person's just, you know, being like that. <laughs> but I think just being graceful, you know, like, okay, thank you. Do, like, do, do, they come, do they come at it because they are like, I mean, I guess some people genuinely, you know, if they're, when they're legitimate players and they're giving you advice and it's, and it's stuff that you know you you can improve on versus somebody who's uh, just kind of maybe an avid fan or somebody who is just trying to figure out a way to have their voice heard. Um, I, I, you know, to me it would be, but, but what I'm saying is that you believe that they're saying this stuff to you because you're a female. They, they wouldn't, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like a great example is Friday night. Uh, I had a guy who actually both during the show and after the show like decided to come up to me and tell me in the middle of this, the Zeppelin said that I should be slapping the bass. And after the show, <laughs> 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 it, was like, it was like laughable, you know? And I mean, I was, at first I was kind of annoyed. And then he came up to me after the show and really went to this long monologue about how I should slap the bass and what technique was and how I should be doing it and part of me wanted to I, I mean I was just I was annoyed but then I realized oh my gosh like this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about and he just feels like I'm a woman and he wants to come up and mansplain something mansplaining to Angeline I can't I mean that to me is uh, but that's maybe more of also a way of like guys just trying to like start a conversation with you you know I mean that to me is, is which is pathetic but that's yeah, I mean I mean because I why would you try to lecture somebody about that and not once but or tell them once but twice to me that's mind-numbing to me well I mean it is it's hilariously stupid and <laughs> and what I realized was I just looked at him and I said well you know this is what's up when and I said, I do stop, but in this genre, we're, we're, you know, we're paying tribute to this band and, and John Paul Jones to stop, but he didn't want to hear that. So he continued to tell me how I needed to stop, but I finally realized that what he really wanted is he just wanted to be heard. So I just said, you know what? I said, I hear you. And then he was like, kind of lit up. I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. That, that, I mean, that, how, 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 uh... How were you raised uh, by your folks? I mean, how did you, you came from pretty educated family. Um. Well, my the, I wouldn't say. I mean, yes. My, I think my my mother and my father are very smart, but they're not. Uh, I think my dad did a little bit of college, and same thing with my mom, but they're not college graduates. My father was a mailman, is a mailman, or was. I guess he's retired now. And my mother had hobbies and you know worked a little bit, was a photographer, but um, that's that's. <laughs> but I mean, I, like, like I mean, you, you. Uh, I'm trying to put this the right way. I mean, you were the same age, you know, and I mean, you, uh, you've already done a lot in your life uh, professionally as a musician. You've already navigated a lot, and then there's this also this quality of like, you know, just always wanting to create, always wanting to play. Um, I mean, where did that come from? I mean, I, to me, it's like also the ability. I mean, I'm st I'm still struggling with it in my life. I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a one I'm, I am a one man band as a journalist, and it, it it's pretty invigorating actually. Um, and it's uh, it's great not to have to work for people that are going to tell you what to say, how to say it, you know, all this stuff. But I just I, would, I mean, for you to have the philosophy of saying he just wanted to be heard, uh, that is the the crux of where we're at in our society now, because that because on any level. It can go two ways. It can go the Angeline Saris way, 
the way of saying they just want to be heard and I'm going to let him say it. Or the other way is more reactive, like, dude, like, you're, you're, what you're saying is pointless. Like, please get out of my face. Like, sort of, you know, you can, <laughs> you can, see, you can see it playing out in all facets of our society. So I'm trying to figure out where that perspective came from with you, whether it's something that just you were born with, how you refined it to become a good human being. Aww. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, well, I would say a couple of things. One, you know, my mother is a fantastic human being. Yeah. And I credit um, so much to her. Um, she's just... She's a beautiful person, and she's a wonderful spirit, and she's peaceful, and and she's edgy. You know, <laughs> you don't want to lose your edge in that. Never, you know? it's never. Like, you know, and that's and I don't want to do that either. But I think I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is I've done a fair amount of reading around Buddhist philosophy, and I'm not religiously affiliated, um, but I am spiritual. Absolutely. And um, and I think you. And also, I honestly. Having Narda come into my life, too, in the last five years, Narda Michael Walden, he is just, you know, he is a, and an Ernest Wrangell, they're both like beacons of light, you know, and all they put into the world is happiness and joy and positivity, and, and that doesn't mean that you don't encounter the opposite or other things, but it's like you don't have to, when you encounter it, multiply that energy by, by feeding it. You know, and oh. so I think what you yeah. what you try and do is learn how how to either change the energy or walk away from it. Um. So yeah, I mean, Narda. I mean, I was after him for a minute, uh, and we just did this cosmic interview, and he. I, I. I mean, I just love the love inside of that cat, and uh, yeah. I just. Can you talk about um, what you can you maybe. Uh, talk about something you've learned you, that you gleaned from him that was inspirational insofar as what you just talked about, not uh, exacerbating uh, negative energy, but either redirecting it or, uh, yeah, you know, can you, can you point to something that was that where you learned from him? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I learned uh, <laughs> by watching him actually, right. you know, handle certain situations and, and he never, you know, ever in rehearsals, I mean, he wants the music to be better, and he's like, he will work you, but he never does it in a way of like, you know, is never negative, um, or, or, you know, it's funny too, if you start, when people start to kind of complain about other people or say negative things, he doesn't engage in that kind of conversation, you know, he like, he just is fine, he doesn't tell you that you should should or shouldn't. He just doesn't really say anything, and then he moves on to something else. Wow, I yeah. love that. Oh, so he almost becomes like, our, like he almost like withdraws. Yeah, he just doesn't, yeah, it's like I was saying, he doesn't speed it. He just withdraws and then moves and then changes, and it's like I, it's subtle, and it's one of the things that if you weren't really paying attention or didn't want to have awareness around that, you would never pick up on it, but I noticed, you know, oh, like when I had been, oh, well this, or complain, or you hear yourself do something, he just hmm, okay, and then, you know, moves on. I was like, oh, you know what? And it highlights it for you. You're like, oh, I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm so there. I'm so, th th there's like an unspoken wisdom there where it's very obvious that you just want to, because, I, I, you know, I mean, from a, from a dharma and karma perspective, it doesn't create that kind of harmony either when you uh, 
uh, wind up in some sort of skeptical. But I, I, I mean, to me, he, like Narda also is like, listen, the guy is a visionary. He learned from masters. He opens. He how, did he open a door for you though, like you know, to the world of music in some way too. I mean, he he. Absolutely. Yeah, can you? <laughs> to me, this is the show. My show. I mean, if you want to incorporate it with your concept of love, is fine. But I just want to know what he did for you um, musically. Obviously, he saw some vibrant monster player. But what did he do for you that opened the door for you and gave you hope? Uh, you mean you said musically? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, there's only one in 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 your professional career. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, there's God. There are like a million things. I mean, one, the level at which he plays and is as a human is is both deep and high. You know, <laughs> it's like if that makes any sense. And he demands a lot. And because of that, I had to. I am not had to, I still am constantly pushed by him to become a better musician. He's constantly challenging me. Uh, learn this, do this, be able to play this faster than this Jocko piece here, you know, do this or whatever. Um, oh, look, we're in rehearsal, change the key, up a major third, down at this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know, it's like, those are all just things where it's like, uh, uh, it's a level of musicianship that I am so deeply honored to you know, be a part of and be in his presence and, and be, it's just to make music with somebody like that. And so that just makes you a better player. Um, you know, and then, like I said, the approach, the, the kind of gratitude and the joy that he plays with, you realize that that is what music is about too. It's about joy and it's about, it's an offering to the people that you play for. And you don't, and he said, you know, I always go after a show, I'd be like, oh gosh, like, I didn't play very well, or, or, oh, I felt great, or, you know, whatever, sort of summing up the show or my playing or something, and he's like, you know, you don't know. You don't know at the end of the day how you played. He's like, it's, you don't know if you, you know, you might think you played great, and maybe not, or maybe you think you played terribly and you changed someone's life in the audience that night, you know? You just don't know, so you don't need to even worry about that. Just do what you can and play the best you can and let it be. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cats say that sometimes that, the shows they thought they played the worst at, and they, they listened back to the tapes, and it was totally inspiring music, you know? It's always like that. It's always <laughs> like that. That is, a, I mean, I, I think about that with my interviews, too. I, I interviewed Ron Carter when I first started my show, like, f four or five years ago, and I went really hard towards uh, uh, bigotry and, uh, and, and racism and, and, and things that I was really hammering on at that time. And he... Uh, he he at one point asked me to stop the interview and was like, yeah, he's like, I didn't expect it to go in this direction. I said, well, you know, but the point is that he, like, I walked away from that interview after 45 minutes. I said, oh, that's, that was kind of contentious. I, I mean, he kind of, I, I kind of got, I don't know if I got rattled, but I just, I, I didn't think that a lot of content came from it. And then I was listening back to it probably four years, like I just recently, and I'm like, this is, I really held my own, you know, I was, this is fantastic, you know, like, it was, it was inspiring, but at the time, I thought it was a, a train wreck, you know, but right. I don't know how it works out like that, but, uh, um, the, the, well, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, should be vetted further. I think that, um, can you talk about the project, uh, the quasi- Mahavishnu project that you and Narda worked on and um, you know the, the some of the original tunes that came from it and, and also 
I mean, because it's cool to do the the Mahavishnu uh, tunes, but do you guys feel like you created new vocabulary as well? Um, in the fusion genre, I'd say we're just playing like stuff off Visions of the Emerald Beyond, off of his um, albums like uh, Garden of Love Light and. It's the greatest Mom. album of all time. Yeah, amazing. Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's a song, The Ends of Life. It's just like, it's so, it's amazing. I love playing that song. But, um, yeah, that's, well, I think that's my, probably my favorite Narda tune, actually, yeah. Is it really? You too? Well, I mean, I found it, it was so weird, because I found that album in a Goodwill, like, just for, like, 50 cents, and and this is before I, I'm like, how can I, I wonder if I can, can, can get a hold of Narda, you know, I don't wonder where this cat is at. And it all just sort of m moved into this realm of, like, momentum, but that tune... I think Will Lee's on bass. I, I could be wrong. I'm not, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's just, yeah. it's a, co it's, it's, it's just, it's sophisticated without getting too, too far gone. And I just, I love the themes. I love, to me, that's part of music is just, I almost would rather, you know, I'm writing liner notes for this really talented saxophone player, this, this, uh, this really, really great player. And, um, and it's a great album. I mean, there's like eight tunes on it, and it covers all genres, and, you know, she's got great chops. I mean, she, she didn't even pick up the horn until a couple of years ago after she saw Wayne Shorter play, and so then she, <laughs> she started to blow, you know, play. And um, But I almost feel like, I don't know, I'd rather see like, you know, 9, 10, 12, 15-minute tunes with different themes in them. I, I feel like that's kind of a missing component. I could be wrong, but it just, to me, it, a lot of, I just want to get away from the formulaic part of music. I, it drives me insane, and, and, and I just want to get your thoughts on how to, you know, on, on the liberation uh, of just playing free, uh, not, not in the sense of, like, you know, free jazz, but the idea of just, being able to be true to your heart and not having to acquiesce to some kind of greatest hits or just kind of, you know, a pacification. I mean, to me, that that's where um, a lot of pop music has gone is towards just pacification. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, double chorus, out. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is the form, you know, there's no shock. It's like, this is what people are being fed, and then, and, and as if they don't have an option, and it is. It's, I mean, so that's great. I, I love some of that, but it's, um, but it's not everything, you know, and it's so weird what it's become, you know, uh, and I'm, the cool thing I think that's happening right now with the internet and music is that it's reshaping music itself and the music industry and what's available to people. And I think eventually that will end up being a good thing. I think the music industry is still reeling from the internet. You know, we haven't like, capitalized from it. Can you unpack that deeper? How is it affecting it? Oh, well, the CD is essentially worthless. People <laughs> think that they, they, they don't have to purchase music. Right. They, they don't see um, downloading something you know, uh, as stealing, you know, it's like, it's the same thing as, you know, walking into a store and taking a CD off a rack and walking out with it, you know, without paying for it. And I think the internet has made people feel like that's not what they're doing, even when they are and with music. And they also don't see the next step, which is that, uh, <laughs> like musicians can't make a living, you know, 
know, if you purchase their album, or, I mean, that's one way. I mean, you can go out and tour and sell merchandise and stuff, but it's like, you can't sell CDs and make money anymore. Um, and then what that's doing is it's sort of changing who can make money. So it's like, oh, well, yeah, sure, if you have a day job and, you know, and make a decent salary, then you can afford to make an album. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a little bit twist. I mean, do you uh, do you think that, like, Nard is an example, like, I feel like our generation, like, me and you, we are from the same, we're the same age. So we tasted that authenticity before things went into the total digital age uh, and mechanization. And uh, I, I just wonder, do you find yourself... I, I look at some cats, I'm not going to mention names of bands, I just feel there's a lot of people uh, that didn't, a lot of luminary figures in quote-unquote rock music or uh, jazz to a degree as well, where they didn't get the memo that there's a lineage in music and that it's their, it's imperative on them, they've already made their livings, they've already done a very good job, they don't need to make another $40 million dollars on a summer tour, they need to give back to the younger cats. And and I I, I Nard is obviously there's people that are not part of that. But I just I look at some of these this 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 um it just seems like a gross amount of like you know uh, you know th these bands that have already been around for forty or fifty years and they're still on tour and they're still playing the same sets and it's like. To me, that's a. I'm not saying you shouldn't make money or make a living, but if you already have, if you've already quote unquote reached that American dream, then it's time to, to do your part and give back. Can you tell me that there's cats that are still doing that, or do you feel that same way? Where there's just, to me, there's like a you know lack of venues to play. Uh, there's a pay to play mentality. Um, like you said, most of the time, if you have merchandise, if you're going to sell it, it's going to be at a gig. Uh, people, yeah. you know, and so, uh, you know, all I know is that the 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 titans of of music, you, Bill Monroe and Bluegrass, Ray Charles and and Sam Cooke, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, in jazz, Duke Ellington, Dizzy Gillespie, those cats, they did fine, but they always were they always were looking to give younger cats the opportunity, and I just. I know it's a, it's kind of just a wide open thing, but I wanted to get your perspective on that because I just feel like there's so much greed now, even with cats that grew up without not with that mentality when they were they were just trying to sing for their supper, you know. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I don't know what to say about that because I imagine there are a lot of people that are giving back and and trying to change it, and then there are other people that are you know, <laughs> looking out for themselves and. You know, uh, doing the same old thing or whatever, and I guess to each their own. I mean, it would be nice if there was more maybe collective awareness in the industry around it, but um, I don't know how we get there. You know? Can you talk about the community that, that exists in Marin or in the Bay Area? It was at one time one of the one of the most communal, even if you, I mean, cats in, with, in the Youngbloods, they might live in Marin County and... and go to the gig, have supper at home, go to the gig and drive home, and then the other cats would be, you know, going to jazz clubs and party and dropping acid. But, I mean, like, there was a very strong community. Uh, what is it like today? Yeah, well, yes, it was. I mean, it's amazing. It was like, you know, the Grateful Dead, and there's Carlos Santana and Bonnie Raitt and 
journey and Tower of Power. And I mean, it's like, yeah. The, on and uh, on and on and on. I mean, uh, yeah. that, 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 that doesn't even include all the ridiculous, like, jazz that was, you know, just brewing. Oh, yeah. It's insane. It does. I mean, I'm leaving out, like, you know, tons of names. But uh, it's amazing. I mean, the scene was something, you know, fantastic. Um, I will say that it's still cool. I mean, it's not what it was, and it is changing a lot now because there's Silicon Valley in the area, and so there's a big tech spillover that's happening all over, and, and rent prices are going up, and it's just like, it's hard to be an artist and live in the Bay Area because it's so expensive. Like, Can I ask you, though, I mean, because I know that part, but do you find yourself playing more private parties? Like, that tech culture, they, what, what is the culture to them? I mean, I get that the rent, the rent prices, they're shutting down art, artist housing, and, and I get that. But, I mean, from the musical perspective, are you playing a lot of corporate gigs now? Um, for me, fortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I get the feeling that that's a choice with you, though. Like, you have a choice. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I do, and I also just think of who I involve myself with, the bands I play. And, um, I do. I, I mean, I do so many different you know, I've played so many different groups and projects, and right. I mean, I do it from time to time. I don't mean to totally poo-poo it, but it does have a certain vibe, and sometimes, you know, you'll be sitting there, like, just ripping it up, and, you know, I've played, I won't name companies, but I have played a few, and I just remember, like, the band just, like, killing it, and the musicians on stage were, like, had this, you know, resumes that were amazing, and then there's people, like, eating crab cakes on a napkin, <laughs> like, not paying any attention at all, and you're, and, like, and then kind of, like, like looking back and like kind of scoff sniffing at the band or something and you're like do you have any idea of the level of like talent and like musicianship on a stage right now and I mean it's just so sometimes it has that vibe where it's just like oh my god this is this is depressing like this is not a win-win for anybody <laughs> you're at, no you just you know in your own way you just um articulated the danger though because that that's a that's a micro example of the macro issue. I mean, it's the idea of saying music is is not a profession. Uh, you understand? Right. Like it, in their mind, it's for entertainment or it's a hobby. It's not a profession. Like no matter how much you're you're just burning, uh, they can't hear it. They don't know what they're listening for, and it's it, to them, it's just. It's just, it's not, that's the biggest thing that's changed in our culture, and it's very scary, because I'm not saying that, like, you know, I mean, actually, you're the type of cat that, that would go play at a pizza parlor with, like, some bongo, bongos and, like, Latin, you know, like, those gigs were, th those gigs provided for musicians. They were everywhere in every major center, and they got paid for them, and now it's like, well, you know, uh, you can have the door, or... Uh, you know, or or you can pay to, I mean, I, I, you know, I, and again, I also realize that with technology, it's it also, I mean, listen, there's a, there's a point to be made about, you know, mothers against drunk driving. I mean, they're, when their sons and daughters were getting slaughtered at four in the morning, coming home out of their minds from like a, a dawn session, you know, I can understand that, that times change, but it's the mentality of this, you know, bottom line society that we're in now that is makes it harder for for creative cats to to navigate and i just what what would be your advice to people that that are just just that they want that they're they want to be true to themselves they're trying to make authentic music and they're living in a place like 
Marin County or Seattle or uh, Chicago or places that used to be bash hotbeds of musical activity, but now, as we know, have changed. What, what would be your advice to them? Well, you know, you can't you can't change anything. You're you know from the top. I can't just say, oh, this needs to be like this. It's like so. What I would say is just <laughs> say yes to everything. Like, in terms of accepting gigs or music or putting yourself out there, just become part of it. Just live it, you know? And that's all you can do, you know? Because, uh, I mean, that's all I do. It's just, like, in fact, I kind of feel like that this weekend where it's, like, a movie, The Red Shoes, where she puts on the red shoes and she dances and dances, and I think she dances herself to death or something. Wow. Like, that, I think that's Wayne Shorter's favorite movie. Really? I'm not kidding. I, I, I remember David Rubinson chimed in on one of my posts because uh, that's an old movie, right? It's very old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think uh, he said that was Wayne's favorite movie. That's so funny you brought that up. Yeah. So oh, you're dancing and dancing until she dies. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's kind of in a weird way, it's like just live it. You know, it's like take the gig at the Fillmore and then take the gig at the pizza parlor the next night. Like just, and then go and accept this rehearsal and then. Go so just be open to music, like, and the more you do that, the more it grows, and, like, and it's not some hippy-dippy concept, it's just true. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you put your energy on something, and inevitably, it's just gonna build from there, you know, whatever, and so it's just, I mean, for me, it's just, just take it all. Some people are like, oh, I don't want to do that, or that's below me, or they have an ego about something, or, or I don't play that kind of music, or I'm not interested in that, you know, but then they're like, well, I don't have any work, you know, or I can't, like, you know, it's like, well, you know, you just, one door opens another, you know, it's like you meet this person on the gig, and they know this person, and then you're, you, you know, you just, you just don't know, so... I don't know if I answered your question. But. <laughs> I, I, I guess my do you, what is what is the biggest area of growth for you in your life at this point, musically or in, or uh, you know? I mean, what, what, I'm not saying try to get to the. You're, you're not somebody like you said. You're 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 open to to most things, and but where do you want to keep growing? Mm. You know, it's funny. Your goals change over time. When I was younger, I was like, oh, I want to you know, tourists and, I, I don't know, I had different goals, but right now my goal is I want to continue to play with musicians who are great, who I, like, who I admire and respect, and uh, musicians who challenge me to become a better musician myself, and also musicians who understand the, um, the connection between, like, the universe and music and spirituality and like love and and the gifts and people who have like this deeper connection with it you know who don't just want to go out and play the you know okay here we go we're doing this and we're making our box you know and, right. and, and we're and we're out now and then in five years I'm going to do something different it's like people who really understand that this is something bigger than that and um, and I just want to keep playing with people like that so who have depth and I want to grow and I want to, um, yeah, I guess that would be it. Do you find like with your students, the younger students are seeking this stuff, uh, seeking this, this triad of music, spirituality in the universe, uh, or, um, you know, I've just been reading, some, reading some, some stuff about cats who, uh, I mean, like we, we all have our, you know, we're, we all have smartphones. We all, everyone is now engaged in either being 
producers of content or react, you know, receivers of content or we read or whatever it is. But um, talk, talk to me about a young, younger generations, if their ears, if they're able to hear authentic, understand authentic music, do you still have, uh, uh, is there hope? Yes, absolutely. They are the hope, actually. Right. And, um, I mean, and I'm not going to say it's like, oh, all of, you know, it's the same thing as now. It's like some yes, some no. And some I teach privately, and I have some younger students. And, um, it's, you know, that's my job, to show them that connection, you know, to show them the, the depth of music, you know, not just go, okay, here's this riff, like, go home and practice, you know. <laughs> like, in fact, I just had this conversation with one of my students. I said, you know, come in and, you need to practice, and here's why. Because I'm not, I don't want to collect your checks from your family. You're wasting everybody's time if you don't, you know. And wow. it's, you know, and I said, I don't need that. That's not why I'm here. And I said, also, you know, I want to contribute to this, to uh, positively. And I'm not doing that by just taking money and showing you risk. So, you know, so we're going to figure out either how to work this or you're not going to come and take less. Wow, wow, I love uh, that. I love that. Yeah, well, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's true. And so, in some ways, there's some people that need to be sh- shown the, that. And then there are other students who show me things, and that's, like, the beauty of it. Like, kids who are just, like, they, like, check out this music or check out this, or they, you know, they have different ears because they're different generation, and, and they, you know, are, it's just kind of cool. They're like, oh, here's this cool band, or here's this, the style of music that's totally different that I might not normally listen to, and so, so it goes both ways. Yeah, no, it's Reggie Workman's birthday today. I and I interviewed him uh, maybe two weeks ago, and he said, "I'm I'm 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 still a student too," you know. Uh, oh, always. Oh, yeah. so I think that, that and that I don't know. Your ego seems to be in a really good place. I I I think you should be very proud of yourself. I mean, I I I I I, I think it's I think you're you're finding you're you're. Becoming, you're obviously being, you're around a lot of beautiful, creative people. But I mean, you're 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 able to keep yourself uh, grounded, and uh, nothing is is really seems that you put yourself above anything else. And I think that's really important. I, I it, it can't be underestimated. Did you um, did you ever get off on Stan Getz? Sure. Because it just it, because my tentacles are so far out on on Facebook, um, this TV film producer found me, and and uh, his the family of Stan Getz gave the, uh, him um, uh, their blessing to do the documentary, and uh, he was like you reading my posts and and really l- just saw what I was doing, and so he's brought me on board uh, to do a lot of interviews uh, for the documentary, and. Um, I just wanted to know from you, like what, you know, what period of time you you loved, especially the 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 period that I am fascinated with is he had this rhythm section with Chick Corea, Stanley Clark, and Tony Williams. It was like the early '70s. But I just wanted to know your what you the pocket of time that you like about Stan. This probably won't get in the documentary, unfortunately. But I just wanted to get your your perspective on on his playing and. And really, the kind of music that he was trying, because he was trying to do this, he was trying to move in the same direction as Herbie's bands or Weather Report or, or those in the early seventies. But what what's your Stan, Stan Getz experience? Um. Well, I you know I just don't. I was just having a conversation with somebody. I don't operate like that. I just feel like good music supersedes like <laughs> genre and time, and um, you know I just appreciate all. 
I mean, yeah, probably, probably, I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite time. No, you, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, what is, I mean, when, when, when that, when that name comes to your head, what do you think of? Um, just great music, good playing, good musicianship. I don't know. Sure. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah. Is there a specific... I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I can give you like. A no, I guess I, I maybe 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 more to the point. It's like, do you remember like if you if you listened to them? Was there an album? Uh, was there a particular song? Was there something that stood out to you? I'm just trying to glean information. The guy was actually completely like from a hum- human point of view was totally out of his mind. Like he was insane, totally insane. And 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 uh, well, what's amazing is that as. Um, as as vicious as he could be, and as he was obviously very addicted to drugs and all these things, um, the, the, to have what's amazing, Angelina, is the idea that you can have a, a tone and a sound mm-hmm. so beautiful and be such a bad person. Oh. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, mm-hmm. So that 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 that's it. it I mean, I'm going to talk to Stanley about it tomorrow. Uh, you know, I've been talking to Billy Hard and. You know, there's the stories that are coming out of this stuff. I mean, the guy had, if you want, I mean, this is how much our society, this is just information that I was learning is that in the 60s, you could get a doctor's prescription for cocaine. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, this, this is the stuff that I'm learning about. I mean, the idea is that, that if you, uh, for depression or constipation, you could get a doctor's prescription for cocaine. And that's, Stan had a prescription. So I mean, like, wow. it's like kind of. I mean, and I'm not, that's neither here nor there. I'm just. It's. Uh, uh, it's. It's just. It's really like one of my. It's an exciting opportunity for me in the world of music journalism, considering that, um, you know, this whole thing was just has been just car, you know homespun, um, and I just kind of like to. So I'm not even sure if I'm really asking you a question actually about Stan. It's just uh, he, he was a total. It's me. What I'm trying to say is that you can still have an amazing tone and sound, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have a beautiful soul. You know, it's, it's true, and that's so interesting. Like, how does that work, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you talk to you and Narda and McLaughlin and all these guys, and everyone has their demons, but you can just get a feel from somebody about like the love inside of them and the the, the soul. And uh, not that Stan wasn't a, a he just was a. I'll send you if you give me your email. I'll send you some of the stuff I've already been transcribing. It's going to blow your mind. I was uh, going to ask you. I was like, you should hit me to some of this because I don't. You know, it sounds fascinating. Well, it's. Yeah. I mean, it is. It, it, it yeah. Just uh, um, you know, private message me your 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 email and I'll uh, and I'll uh, I'll send you because I've been tra- already going at it hot and heavy. I mean, we're without getting into too much detail. I mean, I think it things are lining up for it to be financed uh and it, it could be a really 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 cool gig um if it pans out um and so i will send it to you and uh i actually I, i'd love to actually have you on my live show uh uh maybe sometime in the late summer or the fall it was just i i really enjoy uh uh breaking it down with you me too this has been so like cool I, i'm just genuinely having a blast right now <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I just, uh, I've dedicated this year to the year of the woman, too, and I um, and I can start to feel the momentum now building. I mean, I had Rita Coolidge and Lanny Hall and 
but I really love talking. I'm actually just enjoying talking to you. You're, I consider you a peer, and you're actually doing something on a totally different level that is absolutely as sophisticated as anything that I'm doing. I just find it to be completely inspiring. And um, anybody that's you know playing with Narda too, Narda's opened doors for me and help try to trying to help me every way possible. So love you, kid. Awesome. Love you very much. Oh, love you too, likewise. Yeah. I mean, I just so appreciate, like I said, I was like, just when you, I started reading these quotes that you were putting up, and I was like, what, who is this? What's going on here? This is so cool. Well, I mean, the, the amazing thing is that you also can, I mean, you when you have d- downtime, I mean, you go to this, the, 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 the interview themselves, you get to hear the person actually saying it. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's just cool. I mean, to be able to... To get on the stage, I mean, it's just like playing music with people that you idolize, but in this case, it's just getting them to get out of their original mindset, their normal mindset, and then you're asking them to go there, and they go there, and they go there every week, and it's like a yogic state, and, it, and it's, it's, I don't know how it all occurred, but I think you would venture to say that, like you said, you know, uh, you just keep keep going at it with an open heart, and uh, and opportunities will we'll we'll find we'll find you and so uh yeah angeline saris thank you so much for for being part of the program today uh well thank you so much for having me i'm totally honored to to have this experience with you yeah and we'll uh i'll get you a file this i'll probably start blasting out some wisdom that you've been riffing on today uh all over the facebook pretty soon yeah, it's been really great. Thank you so much. And I know, I'm like, oh, is it over? I love talking with you. If I'm, if I'm out in Tucson, I'll hit you up. We usually play at the Rialto a couple times a year. So. Well, wait a minute. I mean, are you, the, yeah, the Rialto's, yeah, definitely uh, let me know when you're coming out this way. I don't know if I'll be able to get up to Marin anytime soon, but uh, just keep swinging, babe. You're doing you're doing a heck of a job. Oh, thanks. Well, likewise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep we'll keep feeding off each other, and uh, we'll we'll meet soon. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good. All right, Angeline. Have a beautiful day. All right. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye.